Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is The Thief on the Cross by Mark Patch. Father, we thank you that we have the freedom in this nation to come around your word, to listen to your wisdom. Lord, I just pray that your spirit would pervade this meeting, that that wisdom would be clear, and Father, that we would then have the courage, the strength, the hope and the faith to see that through in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Okay. Well, Sean sort of stole my my thunder at the beginning here because I was going to start with a comment about as, as individuals and as a church, we are facing a time where we have to stand firm for Christ as the world around us appears to replace Christian values with those of self-empowerment and self-interest. So my question today is, what can we learn from a thief that would give us hope and courage that we might stand up for Christ? The thief in question was a participant in a tragic scene. Three men dying in the cruelest of ways, berated by the crowds that had come to watch this most ghastly of human spectacles. Two of these hapless three were thieves And as thieves, they had lived by the law of the thief, where putting someone else's life on the line in order to take their money and their goods meant that you too might lose your own life if you happened to be caught. This was their day-to-day existence. They knew the risks. Two of these men's men were thieves, dying in a manner that the public might have expected, punished for their crimes killed. But the other was no thief. He had no reason to be a thief. He had no reason to steal because the cattle on a thousand hills were his. Because all things were his. He had made all things and without him was not anything made that was not made. The other man was no thief. He had no reason to steal anything. On the cross, the two thieves who knew the law and its consequences only too well encountered something that no thief can steal. They encountered hope, acceptance, salvation, courage, humility and grace. One would accept the offer, one would not. So what can we learn from these two men who faced death with Jesus? Three crosses stood on Golgotha that day. Jesus hung on the middle cross, willing to take the punishment that we deserved. He died for us. On the other crosses hung the two thieves, condemned to die for their own crimes. Three crosses, three men, two needed salvation. Only one could provide it. We don't often contemplate the men crucified with Jesus, the criminals on Jesus' right and his left. After all, their condemnation was just. Although the Bible doesn't tell us that much about them, we can learn a heck of a lot from them. Now, the words scripture uses to describe these men gives us some insight into who they were and why they were crucified. The two different Greek words that are used in the Gospels to describe them can be translated as thieves, robbers, 
criminals, malefactors, revolutionaries and rebels. The Greek word used by Matthew and Mark includes the idea of plundering by violence and Luke's word choice suggests that they might even have been evil. These two men were violent, hardened criminals whom Rome considered to be a threat to their control. Execution by crucifixion served as a sober deterrent for similar behaviour from others. Roman citizens and the upper classes were usually spared this cruel and torturous form of judgment, but Rome used it very freely with slaves, the lower classes, and especially those deemed to be a menace to Roman rule or to social order. All four Gospels mention the thieves, but Mark, Matthew and John only tell us that they were crucified along with Jesus. Only Luke, the details guy, records the interaction between the thieves and Jesus in Luke 23. Now, by law, both of the thieves deserved their fate. Their sin earned them both a brutal physical death and eternal spiritual penalty. Jesus did not deserve the penalty they received, but he hung there with them just as the prophet Isaiah had foretold, just as the Father had purposed. Therefore, Isaiah says, I will divide him a portion with the many and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Hundreds of years beforehand, God had revealed the fact that this ugly sin would occur. These were violent men. They lived to steal, kill and destroy. Their lives furthered Satan's purposes. In contrast, Jesus came to provide full and abundant life to anyone who might receive it. He is the door. If anyone enters in by him, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So what is this offer to the thieves that Jesus made? And it's not only to the thieves, it's an offer he makes to us. Jesus offers abundant life to all. One thief flagrantly rejected it. His response reflected the crowd, the soldiers and the Jewish leaders gathered around the foot of the cross. Like them, he suffered spiritual blindness. He failed to see the truth that hung before him. But the other thief gladly and graciously accepted the offer from Christ. He acknowledged his sin. He recognised the power and authority of Jesus and he asked Jesus to receive him as a citizen of the kingdom. Jesus extended mercy and grace to this humble, repentant thief. He promised him that his physical death would lead to him being welcomed into paradise, the eternal dwelling place of the righteous. This violent, evil criminal was made clean and new by Christ, in Christ. Many suggest that being saved as the thief was a simple matter. All you have to do is believe and call on the Lord at the very last in the same way as the thief did and you will be saved. I would argue that those who make such an assertion have not thought through the difficulties the thief faced. 
True, it was the first church service that he'd ever attended. True, the preacher was a godly man. But he faced some difficulties in doing what he did. He called Jesus Lord and in so doing implied that he was a king at the time of his most awful humiliation when he appeared to be more a criminal than Christ. Contrast that with the confession we make with full assurance that Jesus is reigning on God's right hand. The thief expressed his faith when he himself was in physical agony and naked shame. So different from us who confess in a church building clothed in our Sunday best. Further, the thief stood up for the Lord when he was surrounded by a howling, reviling, sadistic mob. This would be a difficult example to follow as he professed his faith in Christ and his kingdom when there were very few other voices willing to do such a thing. Picture the scene. Near the cross were Jesus' enemies who were sarcastic and abusive. At the edge of the mob were Jesus' friends, heartbroken but silent. Their hopes for a physical, political kingdom <coughs> excuse me, had been dashed Their preconceptions had no place for a crucified king. In that crowd, a single expression of faith was heard and it came from a nameless thief. The world has seen few expressions of faith greater than that of this thief crucified alongside our saviour. And there are a number of lessons that we can learn from him. The first one is a lesson of hope. As I previously mentioned, the thief was introduced as a robber, a criminal. Certainly the evidence indicates that he was a hardened criminal with a long record. It would be logical that the centre cross had been intended for Barabbas, while the two side crosses were set aside for his followers. But of course Barabbas had been set free. The Greek word that is translated as robbers in Matthew 27 and is the, pl- is the plural form of the word used to describe Barabbas by John. <coughs> Furthermore, violence is inherent in the Greek word for robbers. It implies robbery by force. We can think of the thief in terms of those that are similar to those that we use to describe Barabbas, who was, in addition, an insurrectionist and a murderer. This would help to explain the thief's callousness when he first joined all the others in insulting Jesus. The man himself conceded that his crimes were serious enough to justify his torture on the cross. However, as the minutes turned into hours, the thief had a change of heart. And in that change of heart, we find our first lesson, a lesson of hope. If that man, a self-confessed criminal, could experience such a dramatic change of heart, isn't there hope for every sinner, us included? If he could be saved under the most unlikely of circumstances, surely there is hope for all. If there, <clears throat> is there someone that you would like to see accept Christ? Maybe you've poured out your heart to this individual. Maybe you've prayed for them that they would either be restored or even baptised. You've shed tears. Years may have gone by and they remain unmoved by the story of the cross 
By now, perhaps your hope might have started to fade for them. Look at the thief and let your hope be renewed. Secondly, the illustration of the thief crucified next to Jesus is perhaps one of the greatest biblical examples that proves that salvation is simply by the faith, by faith in Christ alone. The thief placed his faith in Christ and was saved. Initially, both he and the other thief had mocked Jesus along with the chief priests, the scribes and the elders. This tells us that both the thieves were unbelievers when they were uh, crucified. This is important to remember because it means that the good thief did nothing by which he was saved before his crucifixion. He was crucified as an unsaved person. He had not previously repented. He had certainly not previously been baptised. His salvation occurred totally on the cross. So initially both thieves were unsaved and both insulted Jesus. However, the heart of one of these thieves softened He makes the free will decision to believe in Jesus, to seek salvation in him. The other thief could have done exactly the same, but given the option, refused to do so. We see the indicators have changed clearly through Luke 23. In verse 40, he was not embarrassed to acknowledge his faith in God and he spoke of his fear or reverence of God. In verse 41, he confessed that he was a sinner And he was not proud of his sinfulness. Evidently he repented. He recognised that the the sinlessness of Christ. Since only God is sinless, he had caught a glimpse perhaps of Christ's deity. In verse 42, he spoke of Christ's kingdom, indicating that he recognised him as a king. He went on to ask Christ to grant him spiritual blessing a prerogative which the Jews knew was generally reserved for God and God alone. Though his death was imminent, he did not believe death was going to be the end of his life. His words imply a resurrection, an expression of faith in the life beyond this life. So what factors brought about this change? The thief was sure to have known about Jesus. After all, the whole city had been talking about him. Surely, however, Jesus' unique response to the cruelty and pain was the deciding factor. Christ's conduct on the cross moved the Roman official in charge of his own of his crucifixion. It probably also affected the thief. Whatever the reasons, the man underwent a dramatic change. As disciples, we need to be clear that in sharing the gospel with non-believers, we do not simply seek a change in behaviour. We know that a change in our outward speech and actions is not enough. If there is no change in the heart, there is no true conversion. Conversion, authentic change, must first take place in the heart. That's where it started for the thief on the cross and that's where it must start with us. And it will then naturally be reflected in our attitude and actions. This change took place in the thief and it led to a change in his relationship with God. And what a change it was. That morning, the thief had struggled to Calvary under the weight of his cross. That morning, he had heard the jeers of the crowd. He'd felt the pain of the nails 
being driven into his hands and his feet. But that night, he strolled in paradise with Jesus. The benevolent son of God's love shining on upon him, the soft breeze of mercy stirring in his hair. Except for Sean, of course. You'll have to delete that last piece. The saved thief proves that salvation is by faith in Christ alone. Had Jesus not spoken out loud, the promise that the thief would be in paradise that very next day, many Christians today might believe and teach that the thief was not saved by a simple act of faith. But Jesus did say it, and God had Luke record it for us, so there can be absolutely no doubt. The third lesson we can draw from the story of the thief is the lesson of courage. I've emphasised that he expressed his faith in Jesus at a time when all other voices were silent and that took considerable courage. Someone may object, but he didn't have much to lose and that is certainly true, but consider this. Most of us, when we're in pain, and we can't even imagine the pain he was in, have no desire to add to our agony. We avoid additional distress Prior to the thief's words, the abuse was focused on the centre cross, directly on Jesus. By speaking up for Jesus, he called attention to himself and took the risk of the mob turning its animosity in his direction. It's easy to speak for Jesus when we are surrounded by fellow believers. The true test of courage comes when confessing him invites derision. And as Sean has said, we're right there. We are right there. When we are around people at work who are swearing, when a friend makes fun of the truths we hold dear, when family members ridicule us for our convictions, when the church is directly influenced by the world, we're right in the middle of it. Like the thief, we need to be willing to courageously stand up for Jesus when times are difficult. We need to be courageous and have a faith that empowers us to stand strong for Christ against a world that seems bent on openly accepting what we would see as sinful. When Jesus responded to the thief in Luke 23, he probably turned his head to speak to him. A few hours before, he had looked at one who had denied him under duress. Now he looked at one who confessed him under even more adverse conditions. The Lord is also looking at us and he knows whether we are filled with cowardice or with courage. Let us learn from the thief to have courage to take a stand for the Lord regardless of our circumstances. Moses told the people of God in Deuteronomy 31, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you, he will not fail you or forsake you. Joshua later told them, only be strong and very courageous. The fourth lesson to remember from this event is the need for humility. After the thief looked at Jesus and then at himself, he must have become painfully aware of his sinfulness. For the majority of us, becoming like Christ does not happen in the instant that it did for the thief. It takes a lifetime of effort and even then we know it'll be incomplete when we, when our life, when death comes. Nevertheless, some change should be evident in one 
that has been really converted. The thief admitted, I deserve this punishment. I deserve everything I'm getting. This must have been difficult for him to acknowledge. For that matter, it's just as hard for us to acknowledge the same today. He got what he deserved. He provides us with an example of a humble confession. He also supplies an example of a humble request. Now, a short time before this request, two of Jesus' apostles had requested, in effect, that when you come into your kingdom, give us the places of highest honour on your right and your left. The thief did not ask for a special treatment, a reward, a mansion or a place close to the throne. He simply asked to be remembered and not forgotten. The humble thief was securely nailed to a cross. He could not do anything. He could not walk down the aisle. He could not be baptised. He could not join, join a church or perform good works. All he could do was receive Jesus' gift of eternal life. He came with empty hands and a repentant and believing heart. Ephesians tells us, For by the grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that none of you may boast. Peter said, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he might exalt you at the proper time. The thief humbled himself, and Jesus exalted him. We all need to learn this lesson of humility. Paul put it this way, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. The humble thief acknowledged his sin. He believed the testimony about Christ. Jesus was the King of the Jews, the long-expected Messiah. He now knew that to be true. He knew that Jesus' kingdom was spiritual and eternal, not of this world, and the thief trusted Jesus with his eternity. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom, he said. And Jesus confirmed his hope by saying, truly, I say to you, you will be with me today, you will be with me in paradise. The fifth lesson is one of where we place our priorities. In some respects, there is much to admire about this man who died at Jesus' side, including his confidence that the kingdom would be still be established. There was probably much about the kingdom he did not understand. Still, he understood something even Christ's disciples did not understand, that Jesus' death did not nullify his promise that his kingdom would be be established. Remember me, he asked, when you come into your kingdom. The lesson to draw from this is that the thief was concerned about the kingdom. It was important to him. It was also important to Jesus. Christ had preached that the kingdom was at hand, that it would come in the lifetime of some of his listeners. He challenged his followers to seek first his kingdom. We spoke of, he spoke of establishing his kingdom, his church, in Matthew 16. He died for his kingdom. When we obey the gospel, the Lord makes us part of his kingdom. We need to ask ourselves, do we see prospering the kingdom and our church as our priority? 
Our first concern should be matters relating to the Lord, including his church. How important is our church and the kingdom to us? How much time do we spend thinking about it, praying for it? How much do we support it through the giving of our time and our finances? How much effort do we put forth trying to share it? The kingdom was important to the thief. I pray that the kingdom and the Rock Church are important to you, in fact, that they are your first priority. Now, you may note the previous five lessons, but what I want to close with is one that touches all of us. The story of the thief was not given to provide an example of how non-Christians should be saved. Still, one aspect of his salvation relates to every person's salvation. He was saved by God's grace. Jesus did not promise him paradise because he deserved to go there. Rather, Christ did it because he is a saviour who is full of grace. We ask for God to be present. We know God is present during our services. Could you imagine the presence of the Holy Spirit that sat over those two crosses? Jesus died for every sinner. The two criminals represent the worst of humanity. These evil men violently took what they wanted. No one, no matter how grievous their sin, however, is beyond the grace of Jesus. He willingly suffered the most brutal of deaths so that he could cover the most heinous of sins. This is a very important lesson that we learn at the cross. The two criminals were crucified together. They were equally near to Christ. Both of them saw and heard all that happened in the six hours that Jesus hung on the cross. Both were wicked, both were dying, both urgently needed forgiveness. Yet one of them died in his sins. He died as he had lived, hardened and impenitent. While the other repented of his wickedness, believed in Jesus, called on him for mercy and went to paradise. Only the sovereign grace of God can account for this difference in response. Don't we see exactly the same thing happening today? Under exactly the same circumstances and condition, one is melted while another remains unmoved. One will listen to a sermon with indifference while another will have his eyes opened to see his need and his will be moved to seek God's offer of grace. To one the gospel is revealed, To the other, it simply remains hidden. In the salvation of the dying thief, we have a clear picture of victorious grace. Paul, in writing to the church in Ephesus, says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. God is the God of all grace and salvation, and it's entirely by his grace from beginning to end. Grace begins, grace continues, and grace consummates our salvation. Salvation by grace, sovereign, irresistible, free grace is nowhere illustrated in scripture as well as in the case of the forgiven thief on the cross. Consider that this thief had no good works, no high standard of morality, no self-righteousness before his conversion. Rather, he was a vile and wicked man. He respected neither law of God nor law of man. 
There is no way that either he or anyone else could say that he had earned his salvation. And after his conversion, this thief had no life of service, no grateful response, no fruits of salvation, for his conversion took place literally hours before his death. Yet he was still saved. In other words, his salvation was by by sovereign grace. This is the very message we celebrate every time we share communion. When you think about it, the thief is proof positive that I don't have to reach a certain standard or level of holiness before God will accept me as his child. It's a lesson for all of us. The thief is proof positive that salvation is not conditional upon a life of good works. He reminds us that that salvation is totally by grace, that it's free, unmerited, unearned, and totally depend upon God and his mercy. To get to the heart of the word salvation, we must also realise that the penitent thief is a symbol or representative of sinners everywhere. In fact, he represents us. The thief on the cross is not just a sinner, he's a converted sinner. He rebuked the other thief for his mockery of the Lord Jesus. Don't you fear God, he said? Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. We see that the thief repents of his sin and evil. He acknowledges his guilt and the judgment of God upon his sin. In the first lesson, we discussed hope. The last is a lesson of grace. They go together, don't they? We have hope because we serve a Lord full of grace. So God used these two thieves to dramatise the only two possible responses to Christ, belief or unbelief, acceptance or rejection, repentance or impotence. Like the two thieves, every person who has ever lived is a sinner. In Romans 3 we read, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. He wants us all to recognise ourselves in that penitent sinner hanging there on the cross beside Jesus. He wants us to recognise our sin and the wrath of God upon it. He wants us to repent of that sin and turn to Jesus in faith. He wants us to all cry out, Jesus, remember me. No matter how society judges the severity of our sin compared to the holiness of God, we are all violent, hardened criminals. Our sin has earned us the penalty of death. Many would encourage you to turn your eyes from the thief to Jesus. Can I suggest that you should turn your eyes from the thief to yourself? Instead of asking, what about the thief? We should be asking, what about me? What are my spiritual needs? Peter once asked Jesus what was going to happen to John. Christ replied, what is it to you? You follow me. In other words, he was saying, instead of worrying about John, make sure that you're doing what you need to do. In the same way, you should not fret about the thief. God's taking care of him. 
rather be concerned about whether or not you stand in right relationship with the Lord. Are you following him? If you once started to follow him, have you continued to do so with the same energy that you did on that very first day? The Lord is merciful, ready to forgive. Come to him today. The two thieves live similar lives on this earth, but their eternal lives are very different Even now they're experiencing the results of their last choice. One rejected Jesus and thus stood in eternal condemnation. The other believed in Jesus and received eternal life. Their choice is the same choice that each and every one of us needs to make. What will you do with Jesus? We pray. Father, we just thank you for the way in which your, your word reveals to us your will in our lives. We pray, Father God, that you would give us the courage, the strength, the commitment that we need to face this world as a church and as an individual. You are truly holy. Holy, 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 worthy, truly worthy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.